everybody. I'm Art Stevens, managing partner of the Stevens Group. Welcome to another in the podcast series of PR Masters. This series features luminaries and legends in the world of public relations. Our guest today is someone we can all truly refer to as a PR master. He is Bob Pearson. Bob has helped two of the leading firms in our industry, GCI Health and W2O Group. In industry, he developed the Fortune 500's first global social media function at Dell. In his study at home, he's authored four books, and he's also working on his first novel, uh, which I'm going to talk to him about later. In the classroom, Bob's designed classes on digital media for the University of Texas at Austin, the University of Southern California, and Syracuse University. Given all this, Bob's biggest passion is serving our country and supporting nonprofits, which make a difference in our lives. For the USA, he focuses on countering disinformation and battling extremism via digital techniques and teaching that he does across government. He's also serving on the Defense Science Board for the Department of Defense. And regarding nonprofits, Bob is CEO of the Medic Alert Foundation and vice chairman of Vetted.org, a nonprofit focused on transitioning veteran leaders from the battlefield to the boardroom. There's more, but that's enough. His favorite thing, though, is to spend time at home with his wife, Donna, their dog, Brooklyn, and see their new grandson, Fulton. Bob, thank you for joining us on PR Masters today. How's your day going so far? Pretty good, Art. Um, uh, thank you for having me. And uh, it's a day where I'm just writing and, and catching up on a lot of stuff like that. Great. So I've got a series of questions I wanted to ask you, you know, because you are uh, truly a guru and thinker in our industry. And I'd like some folks out there to know a little more about you. Many do, of course, but uh, there's more to tell. So your career, Bob, has spanned, has spanned many industries. You've been an agency president. You've been a corporate communications officer. You're an author. You're a teacher and a public servant. You remain an advisor to W2O but you're pursuing other opportunities. Could you share with our listeners what you're currently doing? Sure. Um, Art, you know, you did a great job uh, giving an overview before of some of the things I'm doing, but really the, um, the theme is I'm always focused on what's next. And so um, I, what I've learned over the years is um, your career is almost a, um, something that happens as a result of how you actually treat, how you learn. So what I do is I spend a tremendous amount of time uh, reading in terms of, um, in this case, what's happening with how we counter disinformation or what's happening with artificial intelligence or things like that. I spend a lot of time learning about our world, you know, what's happening in China, Russia, other places, and Europe, you know, what, what's next there. And I'm, and I'm basically um, going deep in terms of uh, media software things that could disrupt our industry in a positive way to help us tell a story more effectively or how to help communicators do paid media more effectively or how to take blockchain and create better visual content in the future. So I'm like, that's what I'm like always doing is thinking through what's next, how do I learn? And then out of that comes these cool opportunities that you uh, mentioned before. 
So your most recent uh, career situation has been obviously with W2O, a company that has grown to more to more than $200 million in net fee revenues, uh, uh, truly a uh, an asterisk in the industry because of its dramatic growth. You've played an integral role in that. Uh, what, what do you feel has been your greatest contributions to W2O's growth, and how would you characterize you know, what that company is doing today, essentially based on what your contributions to it have been? Yeah, I think... One of the things where I was lucky on is that in teaming up with uh, Jim Weiss and Jen Gottlieb, uh, Jim does a great job in, in managing the firms, as does Jen, and they're very focused on client service and really do a phenomenal job. Uh, where I was always focused was on how we're innovating. And what we, what Jim and I talked about back in 2009 was how could we use data and create a, a, a generation of analytics models that didn't exist? And so that's where I really focused my time was how do we build, um, you know, no one talked about algorithms back in 2009. And we were building algorithms to say, how do you actually know who's influential? How do you know what content matters? How do you know what language matters? How do you know what channels actually are most important? What time of day should you put stuff out? And in doing that, we ended up building a team of uh, about 120 people focused on analytics and data science and how to put all this together. And when you do that, that actually makes um, everyone smarter. It makes clients smarter, it makes the, the, the agency team smarter, and it makes the campaigns you do more precise. So that, that certainly played a, a key role in how W2O was able to grow. Um, but you have to have, you know, as you know, Art, from being in this business a long time, you have to have very talented people who know how to take all that stuff and turn it into campaigns uh, that are meaningful. And I, and I think we, you know, that, that cocktail of working with Jim and Jen and then, you know, Andrea Johnston, who you just interviewed and, and other folks made a big difference. Um, you know, for some of our lay listeners, uh, you know, the word analytics is, uh, is relatively new to their lexicon. Mm -hmm. Um, certainly, uh, is relatively new to mine as well. Uh, but, you know, apparently the, the, the concept and usage of analytics has really changed the landscape in what public relations and call it marketing communications in general is able to provide uh, corporate clients. Can you, can you kind of reach out to the laymen uh, who are listening yeah. today and kind of just define what analytics really is, why it's different from what, let's say, whatever research uh, qualitative or quantitative had been done prior to its introduction, and what difference it has made, you know, in in what corporations do and how they market their products. And maybe you can also give us maybe uh, an example of that without necessarily mentioning names. Yeah, Art, I'm smiling as you say it because it's a great question. I think people make this far too complicated, and they just throw out buzzwords and all that. Um, what, what I've learned is one of the things that communications teaches you is that you're, you're really trying to figure out how do we reach humans. And, and you're often thinking about psychological models of why do people do anything, you know, or why do they not do something? And what I realized a while ago with, with our colleagues is that if we understand human behavior, then we can understand their patterns because people always follow patterns. And if you understand their patterns, you can then build all these fancy algorithms and things like that that then allow you to see what they're doing. 
So let me give you an example or two of this. As you mentioned, if you take any topic on earth and you think of, you know, there may be thousands or tens of thousands or millions of people talking about the topic, we actually won't think of more than 200 to 400 questions as a community on average. So although it looks like there's a lot going on, there's very few questions that we're actually all asking and you can actually isolate what those are. If you actually um, think of, uh, you know, where are people going to search for information, it may, you may think, wow, Google's so immense, they're searching everywhere. That's true. But in a, in a country for a language, for a topic, there may only be 15 words or phrases that the majority of people are searching for. So we, the human mind wants to make things simple and finite. So once you understand how we're making it simple and finite, and then how we heard, you're on the way to actually getting into the breakthroughs of actually how to track people in a way that is helpful, not track them in a way that is, that is not. So it's my understanding, uh, Bob, after obviously having been in a number of uh, conversations with you during the past couple of years, um, that the, the whole concept of analytics was something that you were actually uh, able to uh, kind of package, walk into like a corporate boardroom, uh, explain what it is, and and uh, in many instances you'd get the business right then and there when they understood, you know, That's its true. impact. Can you explain that? Yeah, and, and uh, certainly the folks who who know me know that I'm one of those folks who says that I never want to pitch ever because I actually find pitches to usually be a waste of time and resources. I prefer to just walk in and talk, and then we figure out how to work together. I, what, what happens is what I find with uh, C-suite executives or, you know, people who are taking their job seriously at any level is they want to they want to win. They want to make a difference. And when you can use analytics to say, Here, here's what's happening in the marketplace. Here's where you are today. This is what you actually need to do to succeed. This is what you're not doing. And, you, and when you can give that kind of clarity, people, they only have one reaction, which is, what do we do to get there? And, and so that then leads to, well, let's go figure that out and do that first assignment and go. So that, that's what I'm used to. And I think that's, um, quite frankly, I think that's what clients prefer. Because the, the song and dance of doing an RFP and putting out all this stuff, and you, you do have to do it when you get to a certain size. I get that. But for the majority of projects in the world, you don't have to do that. It's just it just takes up too much of our time. So, do you go in armed with uh, uh, such information to kind of tantalize the prospect that uh, will cause the uh, the prospect to to uh, to say yes, you're hired right now? Yeah, I think it's like if you think of an example, like <clears throat> it's never about almost never about. The, the client themselves, because then people get too tangled up in their own information. But if when people realize, like influencers is a great example. Everyone says, oh, yeah, I know influencers. They may or may not. But if you actually do the right analytic approach, you can see that there's never more than 50 people who drive the majority of share of conversation for a brand and a topic in a country. Well, you can see who they are in order, and then you can see the next 50 and the next 50 and the next 50. The other thing is you can see who influences an influencer. And there's usually not more than four people who influence an influencer. So hmm. when that, when you go through that stuff, what you realize on the client side is you're actually in the talent business and you're deciding 
you know, I think of PR. PR is always, we've always figured out, like, who should we go to as a spokesperson? Who would be the right person to tell the story? You know, how do we do an event with the right people? Well, now analytics is saying, here's, the, here's exactly who should be your spokespeople. These are the people who already have a voice. But more, just as important, if you look at the next 50 and the next 50, you see people who are totally on board with what you're doing, but they haven't built their voice enough. So how do you help them build their audience? How do you help them get the right forums? And so that is being in the talent business. And that's, that's one of those many, uh, one of many concepts where when people get their head around that, they go, got it. I am not doing that. I'm still on the media list. I'm still like putting stuff out. I'm measuring it. I'm not actually methodically analyzing how to change the game. And that's, that's what I'd like to spend my time on. Hmm. So given this uh, and its introduction, let's say, into, you know, the various tools and capabilities of public relations, uh, how will public relations change as a result of analytics? So I, I've been saying for years that I believe that communications is going to have a, a renaissance. I think the way the world is moving goes in the, in the direction of communicators, not, not away. And, and the reason I say that is, We've always been good at telling stories. We've always had a desire to figure out who the people are who should be telling them with us. Like we know a lot of the principles that actually come alive once you have the um, analytics to show you what to do. We, we also are in a world where the CMO and CCO's world is really converging. And when you think of using paid media, which used to be a, a foreign concept to us, using paid media to move your story in shared media is normal now, right? And so uh, I think communicators are going to be increasingly sophisticated of how to use limited paid budgets to actually take a great story and move it to like-minded people. So there's all kinds of examples where, um, I, will, the, will the things that public relations do change? Yes. Will the importance of public relations increase? A absolutely. I have no doubt in my mind. And so the only ones who, who, who won't win in that change are the people who hang on with, you know, both hands to the past and try to pretend that everything's going to be the same. That's, that game is long gone. So given this and, and uh, given, you know, the fact that uh, the word analytics has become something like a, a you know, a buzzword, uh, what are the buzzwords uh, can, let's say, the uh, public relations industry expect uh, what do you see as uh, future buzzwords and uh, yeah. or more, more specifically, uh, you know, future capabilities that are not being used today? I'll give, I'll give you just a couple, and there's a, there's a long list. But um, one will be search media relations, and people would say, what is that? And basically, in, in a nutshell, if you analyze search, you know, the, let's say the top 100 queries for a brand, and you look at who's not showing up on those first screens, you can actually see who the people and organizations are who are shaping the experience that reaches the majority of your customers. Well, now you would say, how do I reach them? How do I get to build a relationship with them? And that will be the beginning of search media relations. I think you also th see things like in a totally different way where we have talked about quote unquote agile content for years. Although no one really knows exactly what it means, uh, they, they say it. Well, it, when you take something like blockchain and apply it to visual content, we will be able in the future to do an hour of video done in blocks. We will then index them 
And we'll be able to do hundreds of videos off that one hour, um, doing one video at a time, and it would take milliseconds to do the video. We may not like each one, so we may, you know, go back and experiment. But the ability to break down that system of having to do a 50 grand video every time or whatever it costs, th those days will disappear. So tech understanding technology and how it's going to impact media is, is one of the key skills, I think, for um, emerging communicators. So this might sound like a far-fetched uh, question, Bob, but, uh, you know, given another current buzzword that's uh, out there today, uh, fake news, uh, mm. what impact uh, will what you're describing have on the dissemination of facts and information? It's going to be, I think, again, this gets back to the Renaissance. You know, communicators have been always good at corporate reputation. We've been good at issues management. You know, we care deeply about that. Well, there's this new aspect of issues management that is countering disinformation that we have to become excellent at. And today, uh, we're not. And when you think about it, um, just for perspective, there's the counterfeit industry is about a half a trillion dollar industry today. Almost any industry selling anything of value is being ripped off. And uh, counterfeiters are excellent at using Twitter and Google and other social channels to move us in the wrong direction. So it's, they're, they're extremely effective at doing it. When you look at those who disinform, you know, thinking of countries like Russia as an example, um, they're using the same techniques really to, uh, you know, disinform us. And so we have to become excellent at it. And unfortunately what we do now is we just talk about it. We, I think there's, um, this is part of the reason why I'm doing a lot of work with our government is I do think we can get ahead of this and start to make a difference over time. So, Given all these changes that are taking place that you describe, what's in it for you personally, Bob, or professionally, I should, I should really say? Um, you know, you've had a good career and with a number of, of well-known companies, uh, uh, the most recent of which, of course, is W2O. Uh, I think you, you are currently a, a senior advisor, you know, to, uh, to W2O. But uh, you obviously have some plans afoot to do some things that will catapult you even further you know, into the future of what right. you're describing. Anything you want to share with our audience? Yeah. So, I mean, uh, first of all, I, I, my, one of my favorite quotes is Warren Buffett's quote that he, he when he asked if he was going to retire, he said he would retire six months after he died. So um, <laughs> that's kind of my, my philosophy. And um, what I'm, you know, what I'm learning, or just as an example, is uh, by going deep in how to counter, I, I teach on how to counter disinformation and how to battle extremism. And how do you use digital techniques to do that worldwide? Um, so that body of learning is going to lead to a new type of issues management that will propel a firm to do it better than anyone out there in the market. So I, I think it will come right back to uh, to do that. You know, I'm also looking at I've done a couple of analyses um, at the government level, looking at the 195 countries of the United Nations from a media standpoint. And so what you're seeing there are most of the trends that are going to matter in the future are happening outside the U.S. So how people use message platforms is key. How television goes right to social, doesn't even try to reach people at home, just goes right to social and right to your phone. There's a lot of trends occurring there that, again, will impact how we do media back here. 
So what I'm really trying to do is um, stay fresh in terms of what's next and then ask myself every day, like, how do you apply that to building a better firm, building a better offering? And in some cases, I'll just help software companies. In other cases, it may be entire firms. It's, you know, it, it's going to be fun to just keep in, innovating there. But that's what, that's what drives me. If I didn't do that, I, would, I don't know what I would do. <laughs> you'd, walk, you'd walk your dog Brooklyn. <laughs> that's true. That's what I would do. Right. Exactly. So, um, again, you know, given this um, and all the changes that obviously have taken place in the last 20 to 30 years in, in technology and social media and communications generally, what, how, do you, what, how do you envision the public relations firm of the future? First of all, will the term public relations stand up going forward? Um, and uh, if so, how will it change, alter, you know, uh, reconstructure itself, if that's such a word? Uh, where, where is it going? Yeah, I, I you know, I've, I've heard all those debates of whether the name should change, and I, I don't actually think it matters. I think if public relations is a good name, I think it could stay and be just fine. What matters is underneath public relations, what responsibilities get added. So future uh, communicators will be good at, at search. They're going to understand how search works. They're going to understand how paid media works. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. They're going to understand how bad actors work and so they can protect the reputation of their corporation or brand. Um, they're, going to, they're going to be adding in, uh, I think, technical skills and then skills of knowledge that are going to transform the function over time. And that's what matters. So um, I, I don't see marketing doing that as much. They will definitely focus on the advertising part of this, but they're not going to focus on the reputation and the issues management and the, uh, in, in the earned part of search like a communicator would. So we have, we have so many opportunities to redefine the responsibilities. That's, that's really the key. So, Bob, did, did your career start out in public relations? Uh, if, if so, was it like traditional public relations, uh, which obviously leads to the next question is, um, you know, a lot of people who are uh, public relation, in public relations, like myself, you know, tend to stay in the same trajectory, you know, even though we embrace, mm -hmm. uh, you know, new discoveries and, and technology and what have you, uh, you know, but we're sort of uh, followers rather than leaders. You become a leader. So my question is how – if you started in traditional public relations, how did you evolve, you know, into the mindset of well, where you are now, and what skills did you have to develop along the way? Well, I, I've gotten uh, great advice from a, a range of mentors over the years that centered on ultimately anything you do, build new skills and build new experiences. And whether that was like Bill Heyman, who's been a mentor for, forever to me, or it was Dick Loyne, who was an initial mentor to me, who was CEO of Converse at the time, always would focus on that kind of a topic. And so I did start out in PR at Carl Byron Associates, which, which you know, and um, probably few people remember now, but it was acquired by Hill Knowlton. It was number three firm at the time. But um, soon, early in my career, I went into the field sales. I, was at, I went to Sibagagi, and then I went into field sales for a couple of years because I wanted to learn how do you sell how do you do build one-on-one -on -one relationships really well? How do you manage other people who sell? And that was that was better than getting an MBA, which I also did get, 
but that was so instructive to me for the rest of my life. And then I had the opportunity to work um, to launch Voltaren and work with Mickey Mantle for a couple of years. And we went from the 14th entry in the market to the number two product within six months. And that early in my career showed me how if you get it right on a story, it just changes everything. And so you realize, like, that's what I want to do forever, whether it's, with, you know, not with a celebrity every time, but just how do you make that much impact? So I, it's, to me, I was lucky to have a combination of things that just made me think, okay, every place I'm in, can I change things? And, you know, that's like when I went to Dell, um, you know, yes, it was to go do communications, but Michael really said, hey, like, we're not doing well with our customers here. We got to fix this, you know, focus on this. And that led to creating the first social media function globally for a Fortune 500 company. We, mm. we didn't like say those words when we started. We just knew how do we reach our customers online? How do we do this really well? And then out of that, you know, morph this, it ended up being a 42 person department at the time. Wow. So I've so, always, always tried to look at like, how do you make a difference, you know, and how do you keep learning? And the, what what skill sets did you do you feel you needed to develop going along? I mean, you obviously had to become. You worked for a technology company, obviously Dell. Uh, yeah. Did you have to become more knowledgeable and proficient in uh, the world of technology? Uh, did you need to know more than the average public relations practitioner because of the position you held at Dell? No, it's a great it's a great point, and if I. Even take a step back from the hour. I mean, I think, you know, when I talk to young professionals, it, it, you have to, like, you, you should learn the skills of sales because we're always selling. We're selling concepts. We're selling in a presentation. We're selling in a meeting. Like, we have to – sales is something that people shouldn't be afraid of it. They should embrace it. I think the, uh, the business side of things, whether you get an MBA or not, you have to understand how accounting works and how um, finance works in general and – you know, um, that, that helps you. And, and then I think if you have that kind of mentality, if you get into like the tech industry, I mean, yeah, I'm, I mean, there's people there that were unbelievable tech experts at Dell, but you know, for me, I had to learn how does storage work? What's the, what's the importance of a server? You know, where are things going in terms of the next PC? And you, you get into a mindset of how to absorb uh, any industry um, by doing that. So really, you could just say, okay, learn, you know, CPG or learn, you know, another industry works. And you have that ability to just break it down because you've done it enough times. So that's, that's what I always, I always get worried when people stay in the same place, doing the same thing. Even if they're moving up in title and money, they're not mm -hmm. stretching themselves. And so that, there's a cost to that, which, you know, some people were like, I'm good with that. That's fine. Uh, but if you're not, you got to get out of your comfort zone continually throughout your career. So you know the media becomes the the messenger uh, in uh, or, or the message really, and, uh, and public relations has always been, you know, de uh, regarded as the as the messenger. Um, so you know, with the, the continuing advent of uh, technological improvement and advancement. Um, and the relationship currently between, you know, let's say traditional media, print and broadcast, along with new media, you know, social media, online, and what have you. Um, what, what do you uh, foresee as the ongoing relationship between traditional media and new media? Hmm. That's, a, boy, that's a, 
That's an interesting one. Um, I have it. My own point of view on it is I, I do think people who in the news business are always going to be important. I mean, as I, I hope that they always have a key role. I think what I'm learning though worldwide is when I think of like the 195 countries of the UN is that people are looking for who is giving them relevant content. So the, the barrier is, is broken. I mean, most countries, people don't really care who they're getting content from in terms of their credentials. They care that what they're giving them is truthful and at least in their mind is truthful and helpful. And so I, I think we got to be open to a media business that changes even more dramatically than we can imagine it today. You know, uh, if you think about it, um, you know, there's, gosh, a, a couple billion people that are in messaging platforms today. How are they learning? You know, yeah. there's um, nearly 3 billion people who game on a regular basis around the world. How are they learning? You know, so if we really think of how to shape audiences, we've got to, I think, realize a lot of the, the mainstream media that we love isn't making the impact that it used to make. And so how do, how do we, what's that new mashup that's going to help us get there? And I think that's, that's ahead of us. It's undefined at this point. So people getting into public relations today, uh, unlike when, let's say, you and I did, uh, right. are, are have to have to have new uh, skill sets, have to know, have to have new knowledge. Uh, what advice do you give to somebody going into public relations today as a profession, and uh, what's your sense of where the public relations profession is headed, given what's taking place? So I, I, I would say. Think of yourself as a, uh, someone who has to understand communication, who has to understand marketing, and who has to understand technology slash business. And if you focus on those three, um, I think there will be a, a, another, like if you think of folks who are in their 20s and 30s now, there's going to be a, a new generation of CEOs that will come out of that. Because, you know, you think of, and I, and I don't mean CEOs of PR firms. I mean, I think CEOs of companies. Because I, I do think that, you know, historically, a PR person would never be CEO of a company. But as you put together these skill sets, I mean, there's plenty of CMOs and other folks who have risen up to the top. And I think you're going to see a generation of people do that. But um, you can't just be good at communication and you can't just be good at marketing and you can't just be good at, um, you know, understanding tech. You, ha you have to put the three together if you really want to be the leader in the future. So how did W2O go from zero to 200 million? Well, I think um, certainly a lot of great people doing excellent work. I think, you know, the underlying premise was always we're going to be an analytics driven firm. So in other words, not only do we do analytics with almost all clients, but those insights drive creative, the insights drive PR, the insights drive everything we do. And if you take uh, creative as an example, it's easy to say, oh, yeah, yeah, the creative team, they absorb the research, and then they decide what to do. That's different than saying, here are the insights. Let's create on top of this. And, you know, I, in the beginning, people go, whoa, that's too much. But as people get into it, they realize that it actually makes things more precise and more effective. So a W2O, is, is it a communications firm? Is it a marketing firm? Is it a digital firm? The answer is yes. It's all of that. And so by not being defined by one area, um, you know, and, and focusing on it being analytics driven, 
basically the folks who lead the uh, account side were able to blossom like never before in terms of uh, type of client and size of client. Do you think, uh, you know, th this may be a sensitive question, Bob, but I'll ask it anyway. Um, mm -hmm. It just it seems that with the success of W2O and your the role you played in it, uh, that it's become, you know, more, more of the prototype today of, of what uh, the PR or marketing communications or integrated communications firm should look like. Uh, obviously, mm -hmm. it's attracted many, many clients uh, to go from zero to 200 million in, in 60 seconds. Uh, and uh, uh, what do you think that other agencies are looking at W2O and what it's done? Is anybody, without naming names, but do you think other firms are uh, beginning to understand, you know, what the, what the marketplace requires now yeah. and are catching yeah, I mean, up the, doing the, some of the same things? The, the the honest answer is I don't think I know that there's a lot of you know, folks looking at at what W2O is doing or as and and I think that's that's good. I mean I I always think like as long as you're always innovating at the core, you're going to always create edges in the market for your clients because as you know in this business the only thing that matters is are you providing an edge in the marketplace for your client that allows them to achieve their goals yes or no. And so if you're innovating uh, slightly faster than, than the rest of the gang, you, you keep that edge forever. <clears throat> if anyone, and I don't mean W2O, but if any firm ever gets complacent, then, um, you know, things change. And I think there's just as many firms out there that kind of wake, wake up and go, oh, shoot, we're going to have to change our model. And, you know, it's, it's hard to, um, you, you can't just, you know, acquire two data scientists and then say, now we're ready to go. Um, it's a significant change that takes many years to get right. But once you have it, you just, it's, a, it's a matter of can you keep it. No different than being a great athlete, right? Um, you hit 40 home runs one year, and then you don't do anything over the offseason. Well, you're probably not going to start out that well. But the, the great athletes are always thinking that they're not doing enough, always concerned that they're not practicing enough. You know, it's, just, it's, a, it's a mindset. And I, I do believe W2O has that mindset. I do believe a lot of other firms do too. And I think it's going to be fun to see the industry. My hope is the industry embraces all of it. And we actually um, grow the industry dramatically, which we deserve to do. So Bob, as you know, you know, I'm, uh, I'm in, uh, having owned a PR agency myself at one point uh, and now engaged in the world of, you know, mergers and acquisitions and, Obviously, uh, working with many agencies around the country, around the world, buyers as well as sellers, uh, I noted that uh, W2O had made arrangements, you know, to work with private equity organizations. Uh, mm -hmm. And obviously, uh, these private uh, equity organizations felt that W2O, uh, you know, was a pioneer uh, in what it was doing, and I guess uh, you know your role in it uh, was exemplary. Uh, what do you think the role of private equity will be in PR agency uh, structure going forward? And uh, what do you see? What do you see as the role of mergers and acquisitions? I, I think private equity plays an extremely important role in the future of communications. I think, you know, when I think of, uh, it's kind of like when a client looks at an agency, they think of people, not the firm necessarily. I look at private equity firms and think, who are the people out there who are great partners? and really know how to um, advise and build a firm and also know when to, quite frankly, you know, lay off and let the firm continue to go. Uh, I think, you know, with Mountain Gate Capital, who 
was the um, original uh, investor in W2O, that's exactly what they did. They provided uh, great guidance when, when, when it was important to do so. Uh, they helped us make a couple of key acquisitions. Um, they added, they helped add some discipline that we needed. I thought they were, they, they did a phenomenal job and they deserve to be um, rewarded for that. And, and that's, that's the key is I think, look at um, what do you want, you know? And so if firms want to uh, grow and build, uh, PE firms are a great place to go. And that is, you know, different than just getting someone who's giving you cash and then going to watch you. <laughs> you know, there's, and there's no cash after that to uh, to acquire. Um, and, and when you think about rapid change art, you know, you, you have to think of roll-ups. You have to think maybe we need to, we're not going to do this in 20 years. We're going to try to do this in, in three to five years. And that fits into the, the PE mindset. So I've, I've become a even bigger believer by being part of it. Good. That may, maybe I, I have a future after all. <laughs> <laughs> so a few questions about yourself, Bob, before we wrap sure. up, okay? First of all, what do you consider your working style to be, and how has it changed over the years? Um, good, great question. I think, you know, when you're first starting out, you're, you know, you, you, you want to be in control of everything because you think that somehow that means that you're doing your job. Uh, what I've learned, though, over the years is, the less in control I am, the better. So in other words, what that means is I'm always looking at who's talented that I can work with, how do I help them be successful, and how do I unlock them? And the more people that I can help unlock, the more effective we're going to be at growing, and quite frankly, the more rewarding it is for their career. So when I, you know, when I think of people that I love working with, they're all very successful people. They've all done great stuff. Um, they've all you know, surpassed probably anything that we both thought we could do at the time. That's, that's, I think how you, um, that's, that's my working style is can I unlock someone else as opposed to, can I be in control, which I could care less about. So, you know, you're considered a thinker and a guru in the public relations industry. What's your, what's your take on that? <laughs> well, I, I think um, if you, if people, it's nice that people say that about myself or anyone else. I, I look at it um, as you, you have to earn w whatever people say about you. And so I don't actually spend a lot of time thinking about that. I think about how to, how to innovate and how to articulate it and how to build. And if, you know, whatever label people put on you is, is fine with me. Um, I, I would rather be known for just continuing to, churn on how we keep making this a better industry. That, that's, that's plenty good for me. Tell us about the novel you're writing. Uh, you know, yeah. obviously you've written academic uh, type of public of, of, of books, uh, nonfiction. Uh, this is a departure for you, isn't it? So uh, it is. Yeah, us, it is. And, it's, and yet it's why you related. decided to. Yeah. Well, it's, uh, I'm super excited about uh, writing. I, I've actually started writing it. I've written four nonfiction books, and so um, I've, you know, I've learned a lot doing that. This novel is basically someone who, if you think of like Satoshi from Bitcoin fame, this is someone who is a technology expert, and for the last decade, they believe they're on a cause to reshape the world, and they are um, using technology to achieve their goals. Unfortunately, the person is really a modern-day serial killer. They just don't know it. <laughs> and so, um, and this person is very concerned that their legacy is never going to be known. They may be killed or caught or put in prison and no one will ever know. So this person decides to start leaking out a manuscript that they wrote 
documenting why they're so brilliant. And so as they leak it out piece by piece, this chase begins of who is this person, why are they doing it, and they go from there. The key is all the technology written about in the book is, uh, is, is true and can really happen. So as people read it, I think they're going to go, oh, my gosh, I had no idea that could happen. But um, it's, it's, I think it's going to be a fun page-turning type of novel. And uh, mm. I hope to have it done within a year. Wow. I was going to ask how far along you are, so it sounds like you're making progress. Would mm-hmm. you consider this uh, a hobby of yours? Uh, or, and and it, uh, if so, or if not, what are your hobbies? Yeah, no, I, have, I probably have uh, two really big hobbies. One is writing, and I, I, I love writing. Uh, and then the other would be music. And um, although I don't play any, any instruments, I consume a, a ton of music. So I probably see, mm-hmm. gosh, 25 or 30 concerts a year. And, um, you know, the next one I'm going to see is a Killer Queen this weekend. And then I'm going to mm-hmm. see Chicago. And then I'm going to see Alice in Chains. So I, I, I don't focus on just one type. I just like watching great musicians play. It's just, and my wife does too. So it's a, as do my two daughters, Brittany and Nicole. So it's become kind of a family thing. So if I were Barbara Walters giving her, her long time uh, celebrity interviews uh, in her prime, uh, I would probably ask you now, if you were a tree, what type of tree would you be? But I won't ask that, Bob, okay? I, I'll bypass that Thank question. You. Thank I'll you. ask the following question as our final question How do you want to be remembered? Uh, I, I want to be, uh, that's a great question. I want to be remembered by the people that I've helped that have gone on to do uh, amazing things. So le- quite frankly, less about uh, me and more about the impact I have made on other people's lives, whether it's through nonprofit, through government, through teaching, through building companies. Um, that's, that's my measure. And that's actually what I think about um, on a regular basis. Bob Pearson, thank you. Thank you very much for joining us today. And on behalf of our listeners, um, I urge every one of you to re-listen to this podcast because Bob has some very, very uh, unique and, and, uh, and timely things to share with all of us. And I, uh, Bob, thanks so much for being with us. And it's thank you pleasure. all for tuning into another of the Stevens Group PR Masters podcast series. So until next time, I'm Mark Stevens, wishing you all the very best.